Hello, what's this week's Sport Zone on Salford City Radio? I'm Rob Paxson and we're here talking all things sport in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, Jane Sweeten from the Sweeten and Salisbury podcast. How's your week been, mate? Truly tremendous week, Rob. There's so much football, so much boxing. I can't wait to break it down with you over the next hour. Yep, so what we'll do, we'll start with the boxing, uh, James. Big headlines in the boxing. Things went from bad to worse last night for Eddie Hearn as Josh Kelly was defeated in his European title fight. Tell us all about that. Yeah, Josh Kelly, the pretty boy from Sunderland, took on the Russian David Afanisian for the European title. And this is one that's been a long time in the making. Kelly and Afanisian were meant to fight each other, I think, on four separate occasions. It was never meant to be until last night. Kelly looks razor sharp in the first three rounds, picking Afanisian apart. But I always thought Avenisha would be too strong and too experienced for Kelly, and that proved dividends. He came on and absolutely battered Kelly in the fifth and sixth round until Kelly was basically forced to, I don't want to say quit because that's a harsh word, but he had him going. Kelly showed very little to no determination to carry on, and Avenisha came away with the win. He put his punches in bunches together personally, and he was just absolutely relentless, Rob. Avenetian didn't give Kelly a second's break. The punches just kept coming and coming and coming, and it was only so long Kelly could hold him off for. Although slightly smaller in stature, Avenetian just seemed so much stronger, and he was able to hit Kelly at will, it seemed, in the fifth and the sixth. And as much as Kelly likes to show about, and as much as he looks fantastic on the pads, as Darren Barker said, pads don't hit back. And it seems as if Kelly is somewhat, I don't want to say an Instagram fighter, but somebody who looks good on camera. But when it really gets put on him, I don't think he's got the credentials to make it to world level, if truth be told, Rob. I think Avanissian was just too good for him all around. And I think if Kelly was ever going to win the European title last night, this would have been his opportunity. That Last night was the perfect time for him to do it. And Avanissian was just far too good for him, Rob. Far too good indeed. Where does Josh Kelly go from here, James? I think he has to go to the drawing board. I think you move trainer because Adam Booth has has this way of fighting, you know, this hit and not get hit style. And he did wonders for the likes of David Hay and George Groves and Andy Lee as well. But Josh Kelly just doesn't seem to be able to implement the style at the high level. He looks evasive when you watch him, but really... He doesn't seem to be because he still gets hit regularly. I mean, he lost a fight at Madison Square Garden to Ray Robertson. He was lucky. He was gifted a draw that night. But when you step up the levels and the people are hitting harder, the likes of Devonetian, who seem to hit like trains, you can't take this amount of punishment. And you can look flashy, but if it's not actually effective, then it doesn't mean anything. So I would change trade and try and work on tightening up that defence, not move quite as much, because he must exert a lot of energy for for something that's useless. He's a reflex fighter, and if your reflexes have gone by the fourth, fifth round, then you've got a real problem. Right now, he doesn't seem to show any ability that will show him moving on to world level. I'd like to be wrong, but I think he needs a completely new look on his game, because right now, he just doesn't seem to be able to do it. So I'd move coaches and try and find a new way of getting towards that world level, because at the moment, he just doesn't seem to be going there. Can the European champion mix it at world level, James? That's the big question. It is, and Eddie Hearn said he could. He's won a WBA regular world title in the past, of course. He beat Shane Mosley for that. He ended up losing it to Lamont Peterson, but he seems to have improved since then. His issue is that the two men holding world titles at the moment, you've got Terence Crawford and Errol Spence, and and you guess has one as well if Manny Pacquiao doesn't come back as a champion in recess. But they're very, very, very high-level fighters. They're not just, you know, elite fighters in their respective divisions. They're, you know, top five pound-for-pound athletes. So I don't think he can beat them 
for world titles, Rob. But if the right opportunity comes up, he can win one. You know, if, if Spence vacates a title, he could beat somebody for that. Can he compete with the likes of, you know, Danny Garcia and Sean Porter and people like that, those fringe world-level... Con- well, those top 10 world-level contenders who aren't quite good enough to hold a belt in this division. I think he can. I'd like to see him against Garcia and Porter and Furman, etc. I think there's some good fights to be made there, Rob. Could Conor Ben fight the winner, winner or the loser? That's a big question, James. Well, there was rumbles about Conor Ben fighting Josh Kelly. It seems that fight's probably dead in the water since Kelly's coming off a loss now. But who knows? I'd still like to see that fight. If Conor Ben can get past Vargas in a few weeks' time, I'd like to see him in with a Kelly. I think it's the next logical step in his career. And I think it's a good one for Kelly to come back to because at this stage, he can't be taking easy knockover fights. And if Kelly can't beat Conor Ben, if an Olympic caliber fighter in Kelly can't beat somebody who had a very limited amateur career in Conor Ben, then I think... It really says that he's not going to go on to do anything in this sport. So I think it's a really interesting one. And I think that's one that should be made. I don't think Conor Ben's ready for David Avenishian yet. I think that'd be a bridge too soon. I think Avenishian would probably stop Conor Ben within a few rounds. So I think I'd like to see Ben and Kelly get in the ring together. If there's going to be a time to beat Josh Kelly, it's now when his confidence is at its lowest, when he's coming off a loss, when he's still feeling sorry for himself. Now's your time to catch him. So for Conor Ben, I'd like to see him in with Josh Kelly next. There was a good co-main event as well. Tell us all about that. There was Florian Mark, who's getting a lot of hype. He's got a massive fan base from his own country. And I think he's somebody who people really get behind. You've seen the likes of, you know, Dave Allen and Alan Babich over the last few years. Maybe not necessarily the best fighters, but ones who have a lot of personality, you know, develop cult fan bases. And I think Florian Mark is one of them. And I think it was a good stoppage by the Charlton corner to call it off. I think we'll see good things from Marky to come. Robbie Davis lost. Can he make a comeback? Humongous shock. Most people expected Robbie Davis to win this one. I don't see Robbie Davis achieving that much in the sport, if I've got to be honest. That's hard to say because he's a nice kid, but I think this is now the third loss of his career. I mean, he lost to Sarah Watker. He lost to Luis Ritson, who was just schooled by uh, Miguel Vasquez, even if he was given a gift decision. And now he's lost to, in out of sorts, Mexican, who nobody's really heard of. I mean, maybe the rematch is the next logical step, as he probably took this a bit lightly, but can I see him going on to win European honours and all that? Well, I suppose he did beat Joe Hughes for a European title, but, you know, he was given a gift that night. And can I see him really becoming a European world-level fighter? No, I can't, if truth be told, Rob. There was a shock in America as Oscar Valdez uh, emerged as a two-weight world champion. Tell us all about that. Yeah, I think it was a shock. And I know that word may seem... Somewhat disrespectful to a, you know, a world champion who's beaten the likes of Scott Quigg. I just felt Miguel Burchelt might be a bit too much for him. A little bit too big, a little bit too technical, and a little bit all-round too good. But he proved the whole world wrong, Oscar Valdez. He was absolutely sensational. He scored a stunning knockout in the 10th round. But even before then, he put Burchelt down a couple of times. He looked terrific. I think Oscar Valdez now has announced himself as a massive player in this super, weight divi- uh, super featherweight division. There's a lot of names there. Why not get him in with Javonta Davis next? I think that'd be an absolutely tremendous fight. I think Oscar has just proved that he deserves these quality of fights. And if you look at that stable now that Eddie Reynoso has, he has Canelo, he has Andy Ruiz, he has Ryan Garcia, Oscar Valdez, Frank Sanchez. It's a tremendous stable and maybe the best in world boxing, Rob. 
But to finish off this point, Oscar Valdez, let's get him in with Javante Davis next. Let's give him a massive fight at Super Featherweight because he deserves it. I think top rank in general can waste away people's careers because Oscar Valdez has had a big fight since the Scott Quigg fight, and that was years ago. So let's get him in another big one soon. I don't want to see him in knockover fights defending that belt. I want to see him in unification fights ASAP. The most controversial star in boxing returned to an even more controversial win last night. James, tell us all about that. Yeah, Adrian Broner, probably the most controversial man in the sport. In and out of jail, it seems. Constantly causing mayhem. Getting in the headlines for all the wrong reasons. Came back against Javier Santanago. It was meant to be a fight at 140. Broner seemingly, once again, too ill-disciplined to make the weight. It had to be moved up to 147. He comes away with the win. A lot of people don't even think he deserved that win. And People can say he's as talented as they come Adrian Broner, but how many second chances are you going to get? Because for years we've been hearing, right, this is the Adrian Broner comeback. He's motivated, he's back at it, and he's going to fulfil his potential. Unfortunately, I don't see it happening because it just seems like the Burr crowd wolf. We've had so many opportunities for Adrian Broner to come back, to win fights, and he seemingly never does it. When he steps up and he has another big fight, I think he'll lose it, Rob. And I don't see this four-weight world champion becoming a world champion again. In fact, I'd be extremely surprised if he did so. There was a big heavyweight fight on the undercard as well, James. That's uh, something you need to tell us about. Absolutely. Otto Wallin and Dominic Brazeli. Of course, they've both been in with the biggest names in the division. Brazeli has two losses on that, his record, to Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. Wallin came into this one against Tyson Fury. But the difference being, Brazeli was knocked out in one and seven rounds by uh, Wilder and Joshua, respectfully. But Wallin pushed Fury very, very, very close in their fight. And I felt like he was just going to be too technical, too slick and too good for Dominic Brazeli. And that proved to be the case. He was too good all round, a little bit too slick, a little bit too crisp. And he beats Brazeli, who's a nice guy, but at this stage, probably a gatekeeper to that top 20. Wallen marches on. He's a top 20 fighter. I'd like to t- see him take a small step up now because he seems to be capable of doing it. Who could we get him in with? It's interesting to see, would it be a good comeback fight for the likes of, you know, a Daniel Dubois? Would that be too hard for Dubois? That might be a really tough fight, but if we could get him in with, like, maybe a Bryant Jennings or someone like that, I think that'd be a good fight for Wallin and move him on gradually because he can make a real impact, I think, in this heavyweight division. Do I think he becomes a world champion? No, but can he beat some good names? Yes. Can he emerge maybe as a top 15 fighter in the world? So, yeah. There were two... um heavyweights in New Zealand uh, battling it out. Who comes out on top in that fight, James? Joseph Parker and Junior Farr will go toe-to-toe in New Zealand on Saturday. The two best heavyweights in the country, and I'm really excited for this one, Rob. Joseph Parker's been the premier heavyweight fighter not only in New Zealand, but that whole continent, really. I mean, who else has come out of a world title aside from Lucas Brown from Australia? Only Joseph Parker. I think he's been an absolute star from that country for a long time. I mean, he's the most researched fighter according to Google, in New Zealand sports. So he's a very big name. But for years, he's been the top dog over there. Somebody who's coming to challenge him for that mantle is Junior Farr. The, sh- the pair shared four fights, as amateurs, split in two apiece. So it's not a walkover, necessarily, for Joseph Parker. But he's still somebody, I believe, who can win another world title. He's got fantastic hand speed, fantastic talent. He's just locked that inner dog to win when it's got tough. I mean, I'm not going to say he's not got heart, because he showed that in the Carlos Tacker fight when he was tired. He showed that when he got off the ground against Dillian White. But again, against White and Anthony Joshua, he didn't seem to have extra gears. He didn't seem to really put it on. He didn't seem to really have that will to win. And he needs to start showing that. 
since the white fight, he's been in a bit of obscurity. He's not in a big fight. He's finally got one again, and he needs a big statement to push on to fight the likes of, you know, Derek Chisora maybe in a fight, and then push on maybe to fight for another world title. But Junior Farr, it's a rivalry he sees as a potential one for him to become the premier star in New Zealand. So Joseph Parker can't take this lightly by any stretch of the imagination, but I still fancy the, uh, Joseph Parker. I still think he can get the job done. Moving to Australia, farmer world champion Lucas Brown and rugby league star Paul Gowan have nearly agreed a deal for a super fight, James. Are we all looking forward to that? Yeah, we are, most certainly. And Paul Gowan must be somebody, you know, who within the rugby world is very famous. I mean, you must know all about Paul Gowan due to his rugby career, Paul. But he's a tremendous fighter, a real star out there. And everybody wrote him off when he decided to take on pro boxing. But, you know, he's undefeated in his campaign so far. In, in his last fight, he beat UFC star Mark Hunt, somebody who I thought was going to wipe him out in a couple of rounds, Rob. So Paul Gallen clearly has some talent for the sport. The question is, is this a bridge too far taking on a former world champion, Lucas Brown? Brown is somebody who, who although passed his best, has still won a world title. So this is by far the biggest test of Gallen's career. The deal isn't quite signed yet, but they've agreed in principle. Paul Gallen has to pay £100,000 to Brown's throughout to allow him to take this fight. And Lucas Brown will be taking a career-high payday of £130,000. I think this could well be the biggest fight on Australian boxing history, at least in heavyweight history. I see it being an absolutely massive one, Rob. I really do. I think it'll be a tremendous encounter and one that will die in the ages of Australian boxing. Paul Gallen, shot me before, especially against Mark Cohn, but I do think this one will be a bridge too far. Paul Whiteside from the Demo Details has joined us, Paul. Paul Gallen, you know, what a rugby player he was, and, and we're hoping he'll uh, emulate that success in boxing. Oh, yeah, tre- tremendous, Rob. I mean, you've got to go back a few years, Paul Gallen. We've talked about perhaps coming over to England and, and playing his, his trade in the Super League. He's been one of the, the great forwards of the last last couple of decades, hasn't he? You know, spent, what, nearly 20 years playing for, for Cronulla Sharks over there. And we just couldn't prize him over to this country, could we? Because he'd have been great to see the toughness of that man and, you know, playing in, in state of origin and, and test rugby league as well. He, he's took that toughness into boxing and, you know, he's had about 10 or 11 fights now and he's not just been a flash in the pan. We've seen quite a lot of Australian rugby league players have one or two fights and, you know, that'd be the end of it. But, no, I think Paul Gallen's career has really progressed in boxing and, you know, credit to him. Just shows you what an athlete the man is. I think, you know, just agreeing with, with James there, I think this is going to be his toughest test against Lucas Brown. Lucas Brown has been in with some excellent fighters, some world-class operators, and he's as tough as old boots, Lucas Brown, and can box as well. So this is an intriguing encounter. And like you said, yeah, I think it's probably the biggest boxing bout in Australian history, not just at heavyweight, just because of the, uh, you know, what's on it there and, and both the guys, you know, both the athletes. So really, really looking forward to it. Really, really exciting fight, that. Yeah, James, the head of British Boxing Board of Control, Rob Smith, uh, supported some very controversial decisions from the last week. Uh, what do you make of it? Uh, I'll be honest, Rob, I'm not entirely surprised. I mean, a lot of people thought that Kiko Martinez beat Zelfa Barrett last week. And, you know, even if you thought Zelfa maybe nicked it, it the scorecard saying that Kiko Martinez only won two rounds was, was disgraceful, in my opinion. And the fact that Robert Smith is backing the decision of the judges just shows what a mess the sport's in really because these judges can make whatever decisions they like and it seems to have no repercussions I mean I know Terry O'Connor had a meeting with the British Boxing Board of Control over his uh, decision to score Lewis Richardson versus Miguel Vasquez heavily in the favour of the Geordie man 
Uh, that was obviously extremely bad, and the British Boxing Board of Control wiped it under the carpet. And it doesn't seem to matter how many times this happens. It will always happen again. I don't think anything will ever change. And Robert Smith really seems to be the head of this country going down the same road as the likes of Germany and Russia and the States for giving horrendous boxing decisions. Paul, does it hurt the sport of boxing that these decisions come out and people on the outside looking in like me, who aren't sort of educated in the world of boxing, see this happening and and does it turn us off? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's also a turn-off for the fighters as well. You know, you've got a guy like Kiko Martinez who came over. And, you know, Kiko, fantastic Spanish boxer, you know, veteran of the sport. Now, I mean, I've been lucky enough to see some of his fights. I saw his fight against Scott Quigg, uh, the Carl Frampton fight as well. I was in the, the crowd for the, the Quigg fight. He's been a, a great athlete. And, you know, he's one of those those guys that will travel. He'll come over to this country. He'll put his reputation on the line. He'll put belts on the line. But if you're going to start doing this with scoring, these boxers aren't going to start coming from abroad over to this country. They're going to they're going to swerve it. They're going to think, why why am I going to come over and and get judged unfairly? I mean, the Zalfa Barrett fight. Zalfa's from around the corner where I live in in Moston up here, so he, he's a he's a big favourite of one of mine. You know, you see him out running and whatever. And I wanted Zalfa to win that fight, but watched it and I scored it a draw. There was no way on God's earth that he won that fight by eight rounds. I had it a draw and it could have gone either way because it was tit for tat all the way. So I don't know where these judges, and it was two of them, that, that I think, that scored it that way. So, so yeah, I think it's, it's unfair on, on, on the fighters and it's, it's unfair on the public as well because you, you're ripping people off. So something needs to happen and we've been saying that for a long time now. There's so much controversy in boxing at the moment. It's, it's unreal. James, a big heavyweight fight has been moved to Gibraltar. Tell us more about it. Yeah, Dillian White versus Alexander Povetkin, the rematch. It was scheduled for March the 6th in London, but unfortunately White has had some complications getting back from his training camp in Portugal due to COVID restrictions. The fight moves to the Gibraltar Rock, Rob, but it's an interesting one. Uh, I can't recall a big fight out there within recent memory, so... Eddie Hearn's had to think outside the box a bit and hopefully it'll make for a very nice aesthetic feeling because looking, you know, at the matchroom garden was really nice. And I like seeing boxing taking place in different locations. I like seeing a scenic background. And I think this will be nice, Rob, I really do. And finally, for the boxing, a fight has been ordered. The WBO interim title, meaning Joshua V. Fiore, must be all guaranteed, James. Yeah, seems that way. I mean, Juice versus Usyk, I mean... If there was something that was going to stop this fight taking place, it was the fact that Alexander Usyk was the mandatory for Anthony Joshua. But that's been taken out of the equation now with Usyk and Joyce being ordered for the WBO interim title. And it allows Joshua and Fury to make a deal relatively easily. And it looks like that can happen in the summer. And I'm just going to quickly throw over to Paul before we go away from the boxing, because I talked about this briefly last week. It doesn't seem that long away from the fight now. Uh, Fury released a, a video last week of him running into the sea in Mark and you know very entertaining very funny I mean that water must have been freezing but he looked in terrible shape Paul truth be told and has he got enough time to lose the weight and get back to his best or is that activity crushed him here is this something Joshua will be taking a lot of a lot of courage and a lot of you know a great deal of enthusiasm from the a great deal of confidence from really that Fury seems to be so out of shape I think it's a difficult one, James, sometimes. I mean, you've only got to go back to Anthony Joshua might think of the Andy Ruiz fight and you look at the shape that Andy Ruiz Jr. come in and, and yet he, he, he sort of liked the flow with Anthony Joshua in that fight. So I think sometimes for Joshua, he just needs to concentrate on himself. He's been fairly active over the last couple of years and, you know, he's, he's pretty level-headed. He always stays more or less in the same shape. He doesn't balloon up in weight and he seems to be, you know, constantly in the gym. I think if I was in Anthony Joshua's team, I wouldn't be, be looking at a lot what Tyson Fury does. 
he seems to be quite a controversial character at times, doesn't he? But I would have thought Tyson Fury's not that daft. He's going to come in in decent shape, and he's a, he's a he's a, a really tough boxer, isn't he? He's a tough man to fight because of his movement and and whatever. So I think Joshua for me has just got to concentrate his own things. Don't get wrapped up in the whole sort of Tyson Fury pantomime. Um, but no, if Tyson Fury's going to take Anthony Joshua lightly and and not come in the right shape. He's going to be in for a real tough night. But again, it makes a really, really intriguing fight. And let's hope that we get to see that in 2021. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see see what happens uh, with the boxing world in, in the in the next few months. Uh, we're all going to be looking forward to it and talking to it on the on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. Uh, what we'll do now, we'll, we'll talk rugby league uh, with, with Paul. Uh, Salford have announced, um, well, unveiled the new away shirt. Uh, Paul, what do you make of it? Yeah, it's very similar to the to the home shirt, isn't it? Really, just in, in black. It, it looks it looks fairly smart. I mean, me being a traditionalist, they're a bit more like football shirts, aren't they? Now, but from what I've heard, people seem to like them. And um, no, we we seem to have gone with a black away strip for the last well last couple of seasons now for for quite a while, and it's been a favourite shirt of people. I mean, particularly in the the grand final season of of, of two thousand and nineteen, the black kit got the got the vote, didn't it? We, we seem to play better in that shirt. I think we played in that in, in a few of our home games. So, uh, so yeah, I think it's uh, it's going to be a grower, that one. I think they'll, they'll probably definitely sell a few. I'd like to see the stats. I think the black shirt might sell more than the red. James, you think it's a bit strange that players and fans have favourite shirts? No, no, not at all, Rob. I think it's nice for the fans to debate what shirts are the best. And I, sh- I assume you've had some of your favourites over the years, Rob. Oh yeah, I've had I've had uh, certainly favourites and lucky ones. You obviously when you go to the match, you wear the same ones every every week. And Paul, sometimes it works for Salford, sometimes it doesn't. Well, yeah, if you remember back a couple of years ago when we got to the grand final, I had me uh, me grey jumper. I used to wear every week to say the same jumper, and we went on quite a good run with it. I think we went about ten games on the trot with it, but uh, no, it all came uh, all came to an end at the grand final. But uh, but no, I think that's good. And like we said, it, it's good that it's got the fans talking. And um, and yeah, I'm impressed with both the shirts and the, the new badge looks good on the stadium as well. And season's only around the corner now, and it's getting exciting. Yeah, other news: uh, Connor Aspie has been rewarded after a very exciting pre-season with a one-year contract from the club. Uh, Paul, great for him, great for us, uh, and hopefully in the future he'll, he'll deliver more fantastic stuff for the club. Yeah, we've seen a bit of Connor, haven't we, over the last twelve months or so, in, in glimpses, in friendly matches, and, and, and things like that, where he's, he's come on and made his debut, and he looks a very clever player, very clever player. He's got some skills, and he's only young, isn't he? But he seems to be building himself up as well. Now he's a, he's a personal trainer as well, so he's he's got his head screwed on outside the sport, and he's keeping himself fit, you know, working in that sort of environment. He's, he's never out of the gym, so. Uh, so I, I think he's done tremendously well to to get that contract. It just shows you the the the. Um, the mentality of Richard Marshall, he wants to work with young players, doesn't he? And he's, he's willing to give Connor a chance. And I think your know, massive, um, big big up to the supporters trust, all the supporters trust who, who are financing uh, Connor, financing his trial, and they're sponsoring him this season. So that just shows that the community spirit is solved with the supporters trust and you know, the foundation, and that they're doing great things that giving giving young players a chance. And I think Connor will take that chance, and I think he'll be a really good player for Salford in, in the future. Yeah, uh, Salford have uh, got the second uh, Super League fixture. Uh, it's been announced. It's basically Hull FC uh, in the second round. Tough start for Salford, Paul. Uh, Saints and Hull, first two games. It's going to be a big test for Richard Marshall's men. 
Yeah, it certainly is. Both those games, I think, being played on, on, on neutral grounds, aren't they? Headingly for the St. Helens game, where we beat St. Helens last season, actually. So it's going to be a tough start. There's no doubt about that. St. Helens are the current Super League champions. I don't think they've... They never tend to, to start the season with mass recruitment, St. Helens. They might just add one or two players because they've already got a fantastic squad. Um, and I think, you know, Kristen Wolf's going to have them switched on and they're going to be after that, that Super League title again. So for me, though, I think the best time to play a team like St. Helens might be early doors because, especially this season, and I don't think sides are going to be playing lots of friendly fixtures uh, due to the you know the restrictions and things like that. So there might be a, a sort of a ring rust there. So it might be a good time to play them. Hull FC, they've also got a new coach, haven't they, in Brett Hodgson. So an awful lot's going to be expected of them. They've signed a few players and you know there's a lot of expectations there on Humber side. So it's two big sides to, to play early doors. But I don't think Salford have got anything to fear. You know, the signings we've made, we've been talking about that on our podcast and on Salford Radio, haven't we? Salford have made some excellent signings. And if you look at that back line, probably one of the best back lines we've had for a long time. So, uh, so no, it's going to be exciting. Good start to the season. You've got to play everybody once or, or twice, haven't you? So uh, let's get these big teams, uh, big teams sorted out early doors. Yeah, I think a team that's got to a, a grand final and a, a Challenge Cup final, James, there should be no fear. We should be going into any game thinking we're going to win this. Well, one million percent. Uh, Salford Red Devils over the last few years have shown that they're more than capable of set, upsetting the apricot whenever they like. They've had some great cut rules, and I think this is a game that they should go into with a great deal of confidence, Rob, and hopefully when they come out with the victory in, because I think they're more than capable. Yeah, I think it's strange for us, Paul, being uh, sort of seasoned fans. We go to, you know, the likes of St. Helens and Hull and think, well, if it's a good game and, and we play well and they don't play well, we might get a result. But times have changed, haven't they? We're, we're a team in, in, in progression. We're going forward. We're on the way up. So, you know, we should be challenging uh, and beating these teams, really. Well, definitely, it's been like, um, it's gone sort of full cycle. I can remember going to St. Helens not, not that long ago, maybe, sort of the early 2000s after we got promoted and, you know, you, you go there and just hope to keep the score down. It was like damage limitation. If you could keep St. Helens under 40 points, it was like sort of a moral victory coming away from Knowsley Road. But certainly over the last couple of seasons, you know, when they've moved to, to Langtree Park Stadium or Totally Wicked or whatever it's called now, that new ground they've got, we've had some fantastic matches there, you know, losing, remember that drop goal, the Matty Smith drop goal and the, the match where we came from 16-0 down to 30-16 up and lost 34-32 or 32-30, something like that. So there's been some great games there. So we do go there now. You know, willing to hold our own, and I think that's that's credit to how the, the club has come along over the last couple of seasons, and particularly getting to a grand final and getting to a cup final. We've seen we've we've um, sort of consolidated in that top end of the Super League now. We oh, last season was a bit bit different because the, we didn't play as many games as everybody else. But if you go back to 2017, 2019, we we did pretty well. So we have been in a bit of an upward spiral. We've got to continue that now in uh, in, in 2021 and and keep challenging. But yeah, I think we we, we can topple these big sides now. We've proved that. Yeah, uh, there's news off the field as well. Uh, the club have got a new commercial director, George Harborn. Um, he's worked at Aston Villa, he's worked at Derby County, he's worked at, worked at West Brom. Uh, Paul, he's, he's, he seems like he's a top guy who knows what he's doing. He's going to be able to sort of get deals into the club and generate money. Well, yeah, that's that's what you, what you want. He must have an awful lot of experience there. I mean, you've just named three football sides there who are 
pretty big big names in this country, aren't they? Uh, you know, three, three famous names of, of football. So, yeah, if he's been working with them, he'll have picked up an awful lot of knowledge, won't he? If he can bring some of that to Salford. And, you know, the commercial side of things is, is massive. You know, we've said it before, there's an awful lot of potential at, at Salford there. You know, a lovely stadium, a massive catchment area for support supporters. You've got the city of Salford, the city of Manchester's close by as well over the over the ship canal it's not far is it so you've got a, a huge catchment area for, for supporters and lots of businesses lots of local businesses and lots of up and coming things in the area so if we can tap into that and and, and, uh, and, and this George can, can do that I'm sure he'll do a great job for Salford James how important is a commercial director to any sports club really? It's humongous Rob I mean you need to get those sort of deals done and Without that, the club will lose a great deal of revenue. So it's exceedingly important, Rob. I think it goes without saying. Yeah, Paul. And Salford have kind of struggled with that side of it through the years. But recently, we have kind of been able to reach out to the community and to local businesses to generate that community feeling and help put you know coppers in the club's bank. And it's important we continue to do that. Yeah, it certainly is. I think I think we got a bit robbed of it really after the after the grand final success. You know, we took a huge amount of support to the, the grand final in two thousand and nineteen, and we came back in twenty twenty, and we were just starting to flourish. Work we we beat Wigan, and then this this obviously this pandemic struck, and the crowds were just sort of on the up there really, and uh, then obviously people haven't been able to go, so it, it stalled a bit, and it's. He's been put on the back burner and or put in the freezer, if you like. And now we're just hoping that people are going to remember that that terrific run and and, and the Wembley run as well. We got robbed of that. You know, aside getting to Wembley, you think about all the euphoria and you know taking the crowds down to Wembley and weekend stays and all the flags and shirts you'd sell and things like that. And we got robbed of that again last season. So uh, you know we've not been able to go and it being a bit sort of. Um, a bit sort of plastic, wasn't it, last season getting to Wembley? So let's hope we can we can do something like that again this season. But I think the potentials there, Rob, I really do. I think the potentials there for us, and you know, we've just got to hope now that, that Richard Marshall can carry on the good work that's been done at Salford over the last few years on the on the coaching side as as well. Obviously, we're talking about commercial managers and things like that, but you've got to get the the, the rugby league right on the pitch as well. You know, you need to be winning matches and, and competing, so we need to keep doing that as well. James, as someone's outside the the rugby league. Salford Red Devils bubble. Do do you see Salford's presence more or, or less in 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 the in the city and and the community? Uh, definitely more. I think Salford Red Devils presence has grown rapidly. I think the success of the club has made people believe. I mean, I think people tend to focus, you know, on on football, but I think rugby has really become a prominent sport now. And I think the fact that Salford Red Devils has done so well is sort of reminded people about that they should get behind their local club because Salford Red Devils have achieved things that, you know, a lot of rugby clubs can only dream of achieving. I mean, they were massive outsiders to do what they've done over the past couple of seasons, to reach the finals they have done. I mean, nobody expected them to do that. So I think they've caught people's imaginations and I think their presence is only growing bigger and bigger and bigger as time goes on. And I think I think they'll be... I think that... The enthusiasm around rugby is going to grow to monumental heights over the next few years, Rob. I truly do. Let's hope he's, let's hope he's right, uh, Paul. Yeah, certainly. I think uh, it's going to be tremendous when we get crowds back at all sport. I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a big football fan the other day and reading things on, on social media. People are missing sport now, aren't they? And, you know, there the does look like there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. You know, we're coming towards spring now, 2021. And I think it'd be a huge boost um, 
you know, you think back to like, it's probably a silly comparison, this, but you go back to like when the, the Second World War was on, there was no football, there was no rugby league for a number of years. And if you look at the, the sort of the crowds, sort of the late 40s to early 50s, there was a massive boom in the sport, you know, because people hadn't been. And I know it's only, it's not, we can't compare this to a war or anything, and it was five years out, wasn't it? But it's a long time, sort of 12, 18 months, what it'll be since people have gone to a game. So I'm hoping there's going to be that sort of boom again. People have missed stuff so much, it becomes becomes like something where you've not been to. It's like be like a novelty going to the games again, won't it? So I'm just hoping people buy into that and uh, you know you know start going watching live sport again. It'd be tremendous. Give everybody a tremendous boost. Yeah, we touched on the uh, the supporters trust before, Paul. Uh, they've got a sponsored try scheme up and running. Fifty uh, p or a pound a try. Great way uh, to help sort of raise funds uh, for is it the club the club's um, development fund? Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. I'm not sure how it works, that sponsor track, because I was going to do it, but I thought, what do you have to do? Is it, you have to pick a player or something, so I'm not too sure how it works, but I know the support trust are doing tremendous work with the, with the fundraising, and uh, you know, I'm in quite a few of the WhatsApp groups, and I see the stuff on the, the, the various Facebook pages, and there's all sorts of stuff being sold at the moment. You know, James Oskerson does a fantastic job, doesn't he, with his, with his auction pages and things like that. So uh, I know they've raised an awful lot of money this last this last sort of twelve eighteen months, but yeah, the sponsor of trial looks to be taking off. So uh, I need to get onto that really. So uh, I'm going to uh, definitely be looking into that myself. But no, if you can join the trust, you know, you know, make sure you join. I know Richard Marshall's joined uh, recently. He'll be getting his badge, I think, next week. Uh, I think Shirley Bradshaw's sorting that out for him. So the, the trust are doing a great job, and, and and Richard seems like he wants to get on board with that and work with it, which is great for us. You know, it's great that the, the club can have such a a good relationship with the supporters. I think that's vitally important. You know, some of the players are going to be joining as well. Hopefully they'll all join. But it's great that we're all on the same page and we're all singing off the same hymn sheet, if you like. Yeah. The way it works, Paul, is every time... So you, you decide at the beginning of the process whether you want to pay 50p a try or a pound a try. And every time Salford scored a try, you donate 50p or a pound to the to the supporters' trust. I did it a few years ago. I think it's, it's a great thing to help uh, raise funds. But as a, on a personal note... What I experience, what you need to do is make sure you keep on top of it. So basically, every time uh, there's a game and Salford score, let's say, three tries, and when we win, what would that be, 6, 12, 18 points to 10, let's say, you go and find Shirley and you pay your, pay your, your £3. Don't leave it for six weeks like me and then have to sort of start selling stuff to make to make ends meet. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't, it's, it's great, but make sure you keep on top of it, uh, Paul. Yeah, what you don't want is um, to draw a couple of sort of lower league sides in the Challenge Cup and have some massive, <laughs> massive sort of 60, 70 point wins and then forget to see Shirley, then you end up having to remortgage your house. So, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, but it sounds a great idea. And like I said, Sports Trust do it, doing a great job. Everybody seems to be really buzzing at the moment, you know, um, doing all those sort of things. And I think now we're just waiting for the season to start and get the crowds back there. And I think it'd be tremendous when they do. Yeah, you can uh, win VIP tickets when the crowds come back as well. That's something uh, to, to look forward to. If you're interested in joining the uh, Sponsor of Try Scheme, contact Shirley on 07817 That's 07817 uh, And she will help you set that up and hopefully that will generate lots of uh, juice for the club. Uh, also... Uh, Paul, the club club have actually um, announced that they're doing another squad builder to help generate even more funds. Um, that's a great thing, isn't it, for ev- to, for everyone, both us and the club, that you can help, you know, get more money in the pot. Well, yeah, it's really helped the last couple of seasons. I mean, I- I'm not sure I'm 100 percent accurate here. But I'm pretty sure that the, the the squad builder helped sort of 
the Jackson Hastings funding of, of signing him and Joey Lussick. And I think Callum Watkins last season was helped out by by, by that. Um, you know, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure it is. And it's it's really helped, hasn't it? I mean, particularly when there's been no no crowds going to the match as well. You know, losing that, that sort of revenue has, has been has hit clubs hard, hasn't it? And I know other clubs sort of do things like that. So, yeah, the squad builds a tremendous thing to do. And it just shows you the, the, the amount of supporters we've got that are willing to put the money in. And, and support. We've got some great sponsors at Solford, haven't we? Like local businesses who are big supporters of the club as well who go watching them week in, week out. So hats off to people who get involved in that. You know, it's tough times at the moment, isn't it? You know, people getting furloughed and, and losing their jobs, but they're still willing to put the money into the club that they love. It's, it's tremendous. It's fantastic. The options are you, you can pay by uh, direct debit or you can pay up, up front. Uh, there's um, bronze and silver and gold levels, um, Paul, and it's everything for every fan, every fan with every budget. And that's the important thing. If you can afford to pay £500 a month, uh, £500 in total or £91 a month for the next sort of six months, then that's that's what you can do. But if you can only afford sort of £100 over the next six months and that's £18.33 then you can go for that lower option yeah of course you can and everything helps doesn't it Robbie it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you give him you know a tenner or whatever you give it, you're doing your best aren't you and I think that's great that people can get involved in it and no matter how much you're giving you're part of the club you're part of the Salford family and you're doing your best if you can't afford to do it you can't afford to do it you're still you know, buying your season ticket buying your shirts and what so I applaud anybody who gets involved no matter what they do whether it's squad build or it's just buying a shirt buying a season ticket you know, whatever you can do to help the club is, is, is tremendous Yep, uh, so that's all the rugby chat. Let's talk football uh, now, James. Uh, Manchester United were victorious in the Europa League. Uh, they beat Real Sociedad 4-0. Uh, great result for all his men. Yeah, terrific result, Rob, wasn't it? I mean, Manchester United, yes, there's, I mean, a bit of disappointment that they're not playing Champions League football, but I'm extremely happy with the result against Real Sociedad. It's always good to get a trophy, and it'll be nice for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to potentially win one. I think we're going to breeze past Sociedad, obviously, in the next leg, and I think Fernandes, Rashford and James bagging goals, tremendous for us, and I think I've got a real good feeling, Rob, that we win this whole competition. I really do. I think we'll beat... Oh, well, it doesn't really matter. We can give some of the young guns a chance next week against Sociedad in the second leg because we're basically all but guaranteed our place in the next round. And I think we go on to win it, Rob. I truly do. And I know that's a big pick to make now because we're still quite early in the competition, but I'm going to make it. I think it's, it'll be great if we do win because obviously last season we came very close and if Oli can sort of get over that, get over the final hurdle and, and win, a, win a competition in Europe, that's, that's a big thing for him and the club. Absolutely. I mean, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has done a lot for Manchester United and I think it'll be a l- fantastic for him to have not only won the Champions League as a player, but have picked up the Europa League as a manager. I think it'd mean the world to him and I think it'd mean the world to the club. It'd be nice to see because it is so hard to get to the end of these competitions and win a trophy. And it'd be nice to see Ole Gunnar Solskjaer do that. Yeah, Bruno Fernandes was inspirational as well. Uh, great result uh, for him as well. Playing great football, potential to be a football player of the year for me. I mean, potentially, Rob, potentially. I mean, to be classed as that, you need to be such a sensational player. But I think he deserves it. I think he's been great for the team week in, week out. He scored goals at good times. He makes the correct passes. He's got such a high footballing IQ. He's not just an athlete, this man. It's great to see. And I think he's a real contender for that award too, Rob. Yeah, and Dan James was was very good against Solskjaer. Um, You know, showing what class he's got. 
He's got a great deal of class, hasn't he? I think people have wrote him off a bit, acted like he's not that good a player, but I still think he's, he's, still, he's very young, Rob. And I think he's got a lot to prove, and I still think he'd be good at this side. I think we'd be fools to let him go at this stage. I'd still like to keep him around for a season or two and see what he's capable of. So, Manchester United face Newcastle United at Old Trafford. Great result for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's men. Yeah, absolutely. Newcastle, not the easiest side to play. And Manchester United came away with all three points. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and the rest of the lads will be absolutely ecstatic about that. And yes, Manchester City are ahead in the table at the moment. But the Red Devils will be hoping that they can kick on and maybe, just maybe, find a way to still compete for that Premier League title. What a season it's been so far, Rob. Um, off the field, um, Mason Greenwood expend, extends his contract to 2025. Very good player, you know, could be the future for Man United. Yeah, fantastic player. I think a lot of the stick he's getting in, in newspapers at the moment are, are desperately unfair. I mean, I saw an article about him claiming that who wonders what Mason Greenwood will be like as a person in five years. I mean, I don't think that's a particularly good article. So I just thought I'd, I'd quickly bring that up, Rob, because I think a lot of the treatment that that some of these Manchester United players get, the likes of Greenwood, the likes of Rashford, I think the media scrutiny they get is extremely unfair. So I thought I'd just make a comment there. But Mason Greenwood, I think, is a tremendous player. He's a good lad as well. And I think he'll be fantastic in years to come. I don't think he's somebody that's going to flop. I think he's going to be a real star in the future. I think uh, with youth... Uh, James, it's, it's important the nurtured and the protected, and all he does that he, he wants to protect to, to Mason because he knows what what a good talent he is, and and he can't let outside influences sort of distracting his, his career. I mean, a hundred percent, Rob. I mean, it was hard, you know, fifteen years ago for young players to come through, and I know they had to deal with the media a little bit, but it's even more so now because these articles are so readily accessible online. You can't really do anything without stumbling across them. He also has to deal with the, all the abuse that he gets on, you know, social media, you know, your Twitters, your Facebooks, your Instagram, constant grief, constant trolls. So to be so young, to have so much player uh, pressure on top of you, to play in front of the whole world, I think people don't. I think people underestimate how true that I, how, how hard that is for a young person. I think Mason Greenwood is doing really well with coping with the pressure that he's got on his shoulders, and I think it shows what a great human being he is that he's that he's able to keep going and he's not making too many mistakes in his personal life and he's doing well. And I think people need to lay off him and just let him play his football because that's what he's capable of doing and he's capable of being a great player. So as long as people leave him alone and the pressure doesn't become too much, then I think he's got a great career ahead of him. Yeah, I suppose uh, Marcus Ratchford have gone through the same sort of process, uh, James, and he's been named as one of the most 100th influential people um, of 2020 with all his you know, actions against the, 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 the government trying to get you know, school meals to deliver to all. Uh, and it's great he is being he is being sort of held high in everyone in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think Marcus Rafford is a hero. I don't think he's a hero just in terms of football for what he does on the pitch. I think he's more so a hero, for, as you mentioned, the charity work. He's not just a football star anymore. He's a crossover star. And I don't want to make this too much of a government show, but they have been... Uh, a bit unfair. I mean, as, as as many people say, I mean, Marcus Rashford bullied the government essentially into giving giving kids their meals. So I feel what he's done is absolutely exceptional, and I think that he deserves, you know, a night off for what he's done. I mean, he's done so much good. Many, so many footballers use their position for fame and fortune. Not that many use it to do good. Not that many people, when they've been thrown so much money, are able to maintain their humanity and able to maintain, a, you know, a selfless outlook on life. 
And he's been capable of doing that. He's never forgotten where he's come from, Marcus Rashford. He's got such a level head. And I'm proud that he's representing our football club. I truly am. We probably have to say that there is policies in place put in by the government to help fund uh, poor families and and they're they're being monitored all the time and you know it's great I suppose. Uh, other news, uh, James. Looking at the fixtures uh, next week, uh, Real Sociedad at uh, home, like you said, four nil. Just play the kids and get some experience as long as we don't get beat. Yeah, hundred percent. Even if we if we get beat one nil, two nil, it's not the end of the world. Obviously, it's not what we want because we want momentum going forward. But it is a good opportunity to play some of the kids. Give them a run out and see what they're capable of on a big stage because it means a lot for a young player to play European level football. And the fact that this game is all but a foregone conclusion to not mean that much because we're unlikely to get beat 5 0 by Real Sociedad, it's an opportunity to give these young guns a chance in European football. And then they've got Chelsea away on Sunday. Big test uh, for all his men. Yeah, 100%. A, a very tough test against Chelsea. Chelsea now a top four side. And if we can just get onto that top four quickly. After their loss against Everton, 2-0, Liverpool are officially out of the top four. And not just out of the top four, they're now in sixth as Chelsea and West Ham have both overtaken them. Liverpool seem to have completely capitulated now. They're not going to win the Premier League, Rob. And is there a chance that they might not even make top four? Well, yes, it's, it's a difficult thing to say because obviously uh, Klopp has has produced some magic at Liverpool with with winning the title, and it's it's how much that puts in his bank because obviously he's struggling at the moment, the team's struggling. Uh, Liverpool fans will start getting a bit twitchy if this uh, current form continues, and and with all good managers who, who deliver, how long do you give them to turn it round? Famously, Alex Ferguson got a couple of years at the beginning of his Man United career to, to sort out the mess. Um, will Will Liverpool give Klopp a chance to reshuffle, James? That, that's the big question for me. Yeah, it might not be the greatest season ever at the moment, but I think it'd be an absolute disgrace to set Jürgen Klopp, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, the man won the Premier League for Liverpool, and that's something Liverpool have never done in their history. So if they were just to write him off and get rid of him, I think it'd be a truly catastrophic error. And, you know, quite frankly, disrespectful and out of order because Jurgen Klopp has done so much for Liverpool. And it's not like they're completely... I mean, they're still sick. And if they were to come fourth, fifth, that's not the worst season ever. I mean, Liverpool, as of recent, over the past like decade or so, other than the odd season, had been coming around that mark anyway. So to get rid of Jurgen Klopp, I think it'd be a truly... Massive miscarriage of justice. I think they keep him around at least for another three or four seasons. I mean, look at Arsene Wenger. Arsenal gave him all the chance in the world. And when they got rid of him, it's not like they improved. So to get rid of Jorgen Klopp would be an awful move. I think you need to give him a few more seasons at least to try and turn this around. I mean, that's to say that he needs to turn this around. Liverpool could still come second or third. I mean, it's not over yet. It's just on a small bad run of form. Paul, we've seen coaches come and go at, at Salford. Um, do, do, you, do you ever feel there's a, sort of a moment that it switches? Um, I think probably Salford's probably a, a poor example to use or a difficult example to use because we, we've we given coaches the benefit of the doubt over the years, haven't we? I don't think we've been a club where we've just sat coaches willy-nilly after a sort of a bad run of form. You could probably look at teams like Wigan and Saints or whatever where they've you know, they've, they've got rid of people where they probably shouldn't have done, really. We, we tend to be quite loyal, don't we? And I don't think we've sat that many coaches over the years. They've tended to, to resign, haven't they? But I think there does sometimes come a, a point where they sort of say that you've, you've lost a dressing room and things like that. And I think once it starts turning a bit sour like that and, you know, with the, with the players and the supporters getting your case and they start shouting your name out and, they start, and the, the pressure builds, doesn't it? And uh, 
there does become a point then where it becomes a bit untenable and I think you know you're best off parting company you know it's best for both parties I suppose being the, the head coach uh, James it's pressure and, and Jürgen needs to kind of find that winning formula again really yeah he does there's a great deal of pressure Martin on Jürgen Klopp but it shouldn't be something that I think is you know puts his career in jeopardy by any stretch of the imagination I mean Liverpool were expected to do big things again I mean a couple of seasons ago they came so close to winning the Premier League didn't they and they let it go and City ended up winning it. And then the year after, they absolutely walked the Premier League by a ridiculous margin. So I think people expected them to do similar things and at least expected them to be in the title race. So I think this just comes as a bit of a huge shock to Liverpool fans. I mean, maybe, you know, the lack of crowd has affected the Banfield, obviously a scary place to go. But regardless, I think Jürgen Klopp will be OK. And I think he will get back to winning race. It's just a poor run, Rob. I think that's all it is. And I think Everton as well, uh, after after their Merseyside victory against Liverpool, 22 years they've been waiting, uh, Paul, to, to secure that, that win at Anfield. It's, you know, for the Toffees, it's a, a jubilant day for them. Well, yeah, and they, they've been playing some good football this season under, under Carlo and Salotti, haven't they? They've not been in a bad side. So, But I know when I didn't realise it had been that that long, that, that run, to be honest. And we know all about that itself, and don't we? The, you know, the, the long waits that you have at some certain grounds to get results. I mean, if you look at Manchester City's record at Anfield, theirs is their you know, record there's awful, you know, getting that win this season. Before that, they, they'd hardly won there. So, yeah, it's probably um, different without crowds, isn't it, as well? At Liverpool, you know, daunting place to go with a full house at Anfield, you know, with a cop behind them and that, and it's totally different. It's probably like playing a friendly game when there's nobody there. But you know, just talking about Klopp, I think you know, I think he deserves a bit more time. I think it'd be a real knee-jerk reaction if they were to get rid of him this season. But there's one name in the in the frame for the future, I suppose. It's Steven Gerrard. I mean, look at the job he's doing at Rangers at the moment. They're sort of head and shoulders above anybody in the, the Scottish Premiership and going to look like they're going to walk that league. And would he be mentioned, you know, in the next couple of years to return to, to Liverpool and uh, get the manager's job? I suppose bringing old players back, uh, James, it works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, it's difficult to say, isn't it? I mean, sometimes it just doesn't work at all, but then other times it does. So it's difficult to make that decision whether, you know, that brings players back. I mean, sometimes we see players coming back from their retirement, you know, like maybe Paul Scholes, and it works brilliantly. Sometimes you see players being brought back, like Paul Pogba. And, you know, there's mixed responses. People would say maybe that that one worked and others would say that it didn't. I personally think it probably did. But I think if somebody's had success at a club, it's always good to bring them back because you can sort of reclaim that, you know, that old magic in a way. Let's talk uh, Man City now, uh, Paul. Let's talk about the Everton result. They won three one at Goodison Park. Good result for them. Well, yeah, you just said there. You know, Everton looked excellent, didn't they, against Liverpool in that two 0 victory? Manchester City went there and I wouldn't say brushed them aside, but looked looked in complete control for them a vast majority of the game, didn't they? And I think to go to Goodison for this run that City are on at the moment, you know, everyone keeps expecting them to to fall. You know, winning runs seem to come to an end sometime or other, don't they? But they just seem to be like a, a robot at the moment, don't they, the way they keep brushing teams aside. So a good win, a real good solid win, that 3-1 away from home, very, uh, very impressive. So, Man City faced Arsenal away from home, James. Good result for Pep Guardiola's men. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Arsenal, again, not having their greatest season, but still a very intimidating side to play. And Manchester City... Came away with the win, away from home as well. Not the easiest ground to go to, but does it come as any surprise, Rob, with the way that Manchester City have played so far this season? They've seemed almost unbeatable, unstoppable. They're far clear away at the top of the table, and it just seems like in England, they're the best side by an absolute country mile, and I think they're almost dead certs now to pick up the Premier League. 
talk about the fixtures coming up, uh, Paul. Uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach away on Wednesday. Easy for me. I probably got it wrong then, to be fair. On Wednesday. And then West Ham on, at home on the Sunday. Two big games for Pep. I'm going to have a go at saying that now. Borussia <laughs> Mönchengladbach. There we go. Yeah, it's a bit of a mouthful, that, isn't it? But, uh, but yeah, it's a big game. You know, German sides are normally tough, aren't they, to, to beat? And we've mentioned this a couple of times on the Sports Zone about, you know, fighting on four fronts, you know, League Cup, FA Cup, Premier League and the Champions League. It's difficult when games are coming thick and fast and it's probably easy to take your eye off the ball sometimes isn't it? and start looking at, you know, games probably two and three games at a time. It's an old cliche. You've got to just, just play each game as it comes, haven't you? So, uh it's going to be a tough week, but as we see, Manchester City uh, just just keep steamrolling along, don't they? But this is going to be another pivotal week in their in their 2021 uh, campaign. Yeah, all the talk about Lionel Messi uh, leaving Barcelona. City have sort of distanced themselves, uh, Paul, from Lionel. Um, right or wrong decision? Um, I think you've probably got more chance of signing Lionel Blair than signing Lionel Messi. <laughs> I can't see him uh, leaving Barcelona. I mean, I don't know. It's one of those, isn't it? I mean, he spent when you've got a player who spent that much time at a club in his career. I think sometimes you, the part and the part of the fabric of that club, aren't they? And it doesn't work when they, they, they leave and up sticks and go somewhere else. So, for, to be taking somebody at that stage of his career, I don't know whether it'd be a whether it'd be the right thing to do. I'm not so sure about that one. You Obviously, you look at the commercial side, you know, you sign Lionel Messi, how many shirts are you going to sell with his name on the back? But um, I don't know. It'd be interesting. He's still a great player. He is a great player, James. And would he add to City's uh, Arsenal? Yeah, I think he would be. I mean, I don't think he's going to end up there, though. I think he'd like to be there, ideally. I think he's desperate to leave Barcelona. I think he's desperate to rejoin Pep Guardiola. But... It just seems as though Barcelona will keep a hold of him no matter what, really. That seems to have been the theme of the last couple of years. Is it better for City to go for someone like Haaland or Mbappe, you know, to to make a big statement going forward? Yeah, I think you'd like to go for a Haaland or an Mbappe. I mean, they're both terrific players and they both make a massive, massive impact for Manchester City. But the thing is with Messi, if you imagine if you do sign him, Rob, there wouldn't be a bigger signing in world football that anybody could make. It'd be a big statement, Paul. Yeah, it certainly would. It certainly would. I mean, you know, Manchester City are that club now, aren't they? That that are in the big market for for big players, aren't they? You know, they're one of the big player, big sort of money spinners in the world. But I think sometimes you just got to be careful, haven't you? And you're splashing that sort of cash. They've got good players coming through, good young players coming through as well. And you know, let's not overlook the the guys that are coming through their youth system because there's some real good prospects, isn't it? At the moment, you want to go look at what Foden's done this season. Been absolutely tremendous. So, uh, so yeah, I'm sure Pep's got the got the right plan and uh, you know he's not daft he knows what he's doing let's talk about our other football club Salford City FC um, one win one draw this week uh, James they beat Barrow 1-0 at home in the first game good result that yeah great result against Barrow and and uh, another good result against Carlisle I mean a 1-1 draw doesn't sound excellent but I mean it's good enough I mean Salford are now in the playoffs Rob we weren't expecting that necessarily at the beginning of the season. And is there any chance they can push on by that? Do you think they'll finish in the playoffs? Do you think there's a chance of that? Or do you think this is just, you know, do you think they'll zone out towards the end of the season? To be fair, James, they're on a they're on a fantastic run, you know, promotion wise. They've won various promotions in the last few years, and as soon as you get that momentum, you know, you start believing the whole thing starts to turn, and and that's how I feel. Salford City are, are going to go. They, they are in that position where they're not particularly. 
you know, at the front. They're not in the, the first place, but they're in the chasing pack and they've got the experience on how to get promoted. So, you know, you're hoping that they continue that good form and and go up to that next division. Don't forget they've got the cup finals to look forward to against Portsmouth, Paul, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, it's another another massive game, isn't it? You know, playing down at Wembley Stadium and that, it's going to be going to be great. Portsmouth, not a bad side as well, but just going back to the promotion this season, yeah, they're in the playoff places at the moment, but looking at that, that league table, you know, they've got every chance of getting an automatic promotion. You know, you look back at a couple of weeks ago, the victory against Cambridge, they're like one of the front runners in the league, and Salford did a real good job on them. So uh, they're capable of um, putting a, a string of results together, aren't they, and beating anybody in that that league? So I think it's just a, a case of it's all cliche, isn't it? you know, consistency. Now if they can be consistent, you know, towards this back end of the season, get every chance of promotion. They really have, and wouldn't it be great to get promoted and, and win at Wembley as well in the. Uh, is it the Papa John's trophy? Is it that? No, it used to be the old windscreen's trophy. I think it's Papa John's now. It's called. So they could win that as well. It'd be a great double for them. Final minute of the show, James. Two point off third. Two points off eight. Real crossroads for Salford. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Especially at this stage of the season. I mean, when teams are so evenly matched in a league and they're all competing for those places. I mean, one win can fire you up the table. The other win can drop you down significantly. So you've got to make it remain consistent. You've got to get the wins because just a couple can fire you up and just a couple of losses will send you right back down to the bottom. So they need to get wins here, Salford. 10 seconds, Paul. Going up or not? Yeah. And they're going to win at Wembley. It's fantastic, fantastic enthusiasm for everyone on the Sports Zone. Big thanks for tuning in to this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkinson, really enjoyed talking all things sport in Salford. And we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat.